Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Gutter King 1. I may not return for some time, Ethramel said. Sodrain and Thema, the young elven couple, sat on a crumbling bench in the tower's courtyard. Adro and Ranith leaned against the tower's cracked masonry, arms crossed. Baby Aelin, fortunately, was asleep. None of them said anything to the sorcerer who called an impromptu meeting just as the sun was peeking over the blue mountains in the east. We're heading to Novigrad, Ethramel continued, to hunt Arthur and find Yana. I imagine it'll be like finding a needle in a haystack, only if the haystack was also on fire, because the Church of the Eternal Fire is not likely to be welcoming to me or Zevo or that witch, Silva. So you may not hear from me for a few weeks. That's a pity, Thema said. We've gotten so used to you teleporting in whenever you felt like it. Aelin's sure to miss you, Sodrain added. Adro and Ranith will continue watching over the tower, Ethramel said, motioning to the ex-Scoyatel. If you need anything, just let them know. We know, we know, Thema sighed. We won't hold our breath waiting for you. Just be careful in Novigrad, Ethramel. The Church of the Eternal Fires made that city dangerous for people like us. Ethramel looked across the courtyard, where Zevo, Jeremiah, Silva, and Armin were waiting. I knew one sister of the Eternal Fire who I could consider a friend that once lived in Novigrad. Hopefully she's still there, and remembers me as fondly as I do her. But don't worry, I shall act with my usual discretion and tact. The sorcerer sauntered towards his companions. Zevo grunted at Ethramel as he approached, and motioned to Adro and Ranith. Your two new followers aren't coming with you? Nulif isn't coming with you? Ethramel replied with a sharp tone. Zevo's face darkened, and he looked away. It was a new day, Ethramel thought as he looked at the rising sun. A chance for a new beginning and all that. But first, they had to tie up one more loose end. Ethramel looked to Armin and said, I can teleport us on the outskirts of Merobor. I'll not risk getting thrown in jail by guards for sorcery. Is that acceptable? As long as you get me close to home, Armin said in a similarly sharp tone and the sooner you do it, the better. Well, let's not waste any more time, then. Ethramel pictured the Temerian city of Maribor in his mind, and summoned his power. A portal opened, and he stepped through it without hesitation. One moment, Ethramel was in his tower at Edern, the next he was in a lush Temerian field on the outskirts of a modest-sized city with sturdy brownstone walls. 
the black and yellow sun of Nilfgaard flew over the city of Maribor, but no one commented on it as they stepped through the portal one by one. They were all used to such a sight at this point. Well, here you go, Ethramel said to Armin, who stared at the distant city walls dumbly. You're home again, Armin. Tears formed in the architect's eyes, but he quickly wiped them away and straightened his back. He looked to Ethramel, Zevo, Jeremiah, and Silva in turn, and nodded. I would just like to say that I hated every moment I've been with you, and wish to never see any of you again. With that, Armin turned his back and walked alone towards Maribor. No good deed goes unpunished, Ethramel muttered. He waited a moment, then pictured the city of Novigrad, the jewel of the north. He pictured its imposing white walls that had never been breached, even during the last two northern wars. He pictured its bustling commercial center, filled with merchants and craftsmen and bankers and horse traders and colorful city dwellers. He pictured the dirty seawater that surrounded the peninsula city, and the tall red bridges spanning the rivers that cut through it. He pictured the city's thriving port and tall stone buildings and cozy taverns. He pictured a free and wealthy city that also serves as the base of operations for the Church of the Eternal Fire. Ethramel held all of this in his mind and summoned another portal. To the city of Novigrad, he told his companions, we'll teleport to the outskirts again. No sense in getting arrested and executed for witchcraft because we suddenly appeared in the heart of the city. No sense at all, Jeremiah agreed. After you, Ethramel. Ethramel stepped through the portal, and again came out to a grassy field in Redania. If he calculated properly, they should be on the other side of a small river that separated them from Novigrad. All they had to do was find a proper bridge and hope the guards would be open to letting the glowing light caught Ethramel's attention. At first, he thought it was the rising sun, but the sun was still poking over the Mahakam Mountains to their east, and this glow came from the north when Novigrad stood. Novigrad was burning. The thought was so absurd that Ethramel reasoned it must just be a small house fire near one of the city's walls, but there was too much light to justify that, and as the sorcerer's eyes adjusted, he was forced to accept the harsh truth. The entire damned city was up in flames, from imposing white wall to imposing white wall, and these flames were icy blue casting a pall over the sky that reminded Ethramel of clear water in a stream. Before anyone asked what could cause such widespread destruction in one of the most populous and powerful cities on the continent, they got their answer. A high-pitched shriek that nearly split the sorcerer's eardrums sounded from over the city. The sound reminded Ethramel of the town of Kalmak, where the wild hunt had suddenly appeared. Holy fucking hell on a pyre, Ethramel muttered. He knew what he'd see, but looked over the fiery city anyway. Three or four armored knights rode horses across the Novigradian skies. The wild hunt had sacked Novigrad in the night. Oh no, Jeremiah said. Ethramel jumped and let out a startled squawk. He'd forgotten for a moment that his companions had joined him through the portal. You teleported us to the wrong city, Ethramel. Are you fucking serious? The sorcerer snapped. Look at it, Keller. What other city on the continent looks like this? Silva pressed her palms against her temples and started running, feet squelching in the wet grass. She got four paces before Jeremiah grabbed her arm and yanked her back. Silva slipped and tumbled into Jeremiah, 
and they both collapsed in the muck. The wind rushed from Jeremiah as he pushed Silva off. What in the hell are you thinking? Silva pushed herself up, slipped in the mud, and buckled. Yana could be in there, she said. We've got to find her. Then go yourself if you're so keen to die, Ethramel said. He couldn't pull his eyes away from the dancing blue flames. He felt his legs shaking, and not from the cold. In fact, his face felt quite flush. But I'm telling you, we'll do no good going into Novograd right now. So you're saying we should just abandon her, Silva snapped. No, that's not what I'm saying, you idiot, Ethramel said. Try to think about this for one damned second. Sorry I'm not up to your standards when I see the wild hunt riding roughshod over Novograd, Silva said. But my friend's in there. You're not the only one that's friends with Yana here. Jeremiah sat up and spat out dirty water. No, but I'm the only one willing to do anything to help her. Jeremiah hauled himself up. Now that's a crock of shit if I've ever... There's fire, Zevo said. Yes, we can see that, Zevo, Ethermel replied. Thank you for finally chiming in with that astute observation. No, not the blue fire. Red campfire on the banks of the river. Zevo pointed at a pinprick of light on their side of the river. The small red flame looked like a spark next to the roaring bonfire of Novograd. Strange place for a campfire right now, Silva said, shading her eyes even though it was dark. No one in their right mind would be camping next to a burning city with the wild hunt flying overhead, Jeremiah said. They must know something. We don't know that, Ethramel said. Do you have any better ideas? the craftsman replied. I'm dying to hear them. Let's go see who's there, Zevo said, then added, cautiously. Ethramel marked how, despite the city of flames growing in his view, he could not hear any of its destruction across the river. No crackling fire, no screams of anguish, no collapsing buildings, nothing. All he could hear from Novograd was the occasional shriek from the wild hunt circling the skies above. Beyond that, he heard the surprisingly tranquil babble of the river that acted as a natural border for the port city. And, as they approached the campfire on the bank of this river, Ethramel heard a familiar melody playing, followed by a familiar voice singing a familiar ballad. They spot bloodstains speckled on the road from injured rivals once swelled with pride. The wild hunt cut them down to size. Now they bleed out on the road. They're close to death. Arthur of fucking Garamore, Ethramel muttered. The gutter king himself, Jeremiah added. The ballad ended, and Arthur's four campfire companions clapped. Arthur said something softly, and three of the four laughed. Ethramel tried to see who else was with the Gutter King, but the fires of Novograd shadowed all of them. We should sneak up on them, Silva said. Circle around the campfire and ambush them from behind. Agreed, Zevo said. He hunkered down, ran a hand over the marshy grass, and motioned for the others to follow on their hands and knees. Ethramel did, but only with extreme distaste as he felt his hands, knees, and pants go damp with cold, muddy water. Time, thankfully, moved quickly for Ethramel as he and the others rounded the small campfire on their hands and knees. The sorcerer kept his eye on the sitting figures, briefly illuminated by the blue flames before becoming shadowed once more. Arthur, that whoreson, started playing another soft melody. Then one of the figures stood up. They were tall and seemed to be wearing shining plate armor that caught the firelight, with a tattered red cloak 
clasped at their throat. Ethramel couldn't be sure, but it looked like they wore a plate helmet as well, in the visage of a skull. Regardless, this tall and armored figure looked directly at Ethramel and the others, and Arthur's music finally stopped. The troubadour stood up and turned to them as well. He gave a low bow and said, There's no need to be on your hands and knees. Show yourselves proper. Zevo paused, followed by Jeremiah and Silva and Ethramel. The sorcerer sighed. He got his hands and knees wet for nothing. He saw no sense in staying that way, and stood up as proudly as he could. The others followed suit. It's good to see you again, Arthur, he said, in what he hoped was an imposing tone. Zevo and Ethramel drew their swords in unison, and sprinted towards the campfire. Only to be stopped so suddenly, Ethramel felt like he threw his back out. It wasn't as if he and Zevo hit an invisible barrier. It was more like their legs refused to bend at the knees. Ethramel tried moving his arms and found them similarly locked. He wiggled a few fingers, gripping the hilt of his sword, but that was it. He was able to crane his neck slightly and strained his eyes to look over at Zevo. The Witcher was similarly frozen. His neck veins were bulging, and a thin sheen of sweat appeared on his forehead, but he could not move. A spell, Ethramel muttered, if just to test that he could speak. He suffered no difficulties on that account. Arthur grinned from his campfire. He was no longer wearing a soft shirt and colorful pantaloons. He was wearing burnished plate armor with black inlay. The bifurcated crown sigil was etched over his heart, and had a sword strapped to his hip. My friends! I didn't expect to meet again so soon. Have you come all this way just to see me? Two more figures stood up, their arms outstretched. One of them was that sorcerer Zevo kept going on about. The other... Ethramel's breath caught in his throat. The other was a mousy man with strawberry blonde hair and a drawn face. He dressed in thick robes, and had the grin of a man who had bested someone in the game of cards once, and knew they could do it again. Theo of Valander... Ethramel said, seeing that face cast Ethramel back to that sieged Tamarian city. He remembered how Theo led him, Tobias, and his old friend Hovart Barmahoen into the city sewers to broker a peace deal, and instead cut both their throats. Hovart survived, but his friendship with Ethramel did not. The damned sorcerer praised the king of the wild hunt before disappearing. And here he was again with Arthur the Gutter King outside of a city that was sacked by the Wild Hunt. Theo nodded curtly, was hoping never to see you again. Because you knew I'd gut you? Ethramel asked. No, Theo said, because I find your company odious. What in the hell have you done, Arthur? Jeremiah shouted. Ethramel couldn't turn around to see, but he guessed Jeremiah and Silva were spell-locked just the same. Arthur sighed and all of the mirth fled from his face. I'm tired of trying to woo you. You four have proven very resistant to my charm, or perhaps I've just been too subtle in my approach. So no more subterfuge, no more half-truths. We know who we are at this point. Let's lay everything out, shall we? I want you to join me. I've spent years traveling the continent, crafting a rebellion that will create a free and independent kingdom in the Pontar Valley. The sacking of Novigrad is only the beginning. Thanks to Armin's designs, I freed hundreds of Saskia the Dragonslayer's old rebels to swell our ranks. They're on the march now, off to join the rest of my army further east. 
but those hundreds all lack what each of you would bring. Arthur plucked his lute and pointed to Jeremiah. I've not met anyone with a keener mind for crafting and mechanics, Arthur said. I was impressed by the repeating crossbow you showed me while we hunted the griffin. Why kowtow to a bigoted religion that burns non-humans at the stake? With me, you'd have complete and total creative freedom. Ethramel didn't hear Jeremiah shout anything back. He was curious to see the look on the craftsman's face. Theo here has told me of your quick thinking and fast action in a lander, Arthur said to Ethramel. I pride myself on having an eye for finding talented sorcerers. Your years of experience would be a welcome addition to our council. Ethramel sensed sincerity in Arthur's voice. He knew the Gutter King was full of shit and an adept liar, but what he said made a modicum of sense. He would be able to provide advice based on over a century and a half of experience in travel across the continent. These thoughts preoccupied Ethramel long enough for Arthur to turn his attention to Silva. I do regret I don't know much of you, Silva, but you've got some power if you were traveling with Yana. You'd gain guidance and practical experience with us, and surpass even Yana's expectations of you. You're full of shit, Arthur, Zevo said. The Gutter King looked at the Witcher. And you're the most baffling one of all, Zevo. You'll never be accepted by anyone because of what you are. At best, you'll be tolerated. Don't you dream of more? In my kingdom, you'd have a place of honor. A Witcher's knowledge is valuable. Why sell it to illiterate northerners for a fistful of coins? And here, Arthur's voice rose, and his face took on a melancholic expression, as if he was about to sing a funeral dirge. I see greatness in all of you, the Gutter King said, not just because of your talents, but because of who you are. Could you say the same of Yana? She threw you together in Mahakam and kept you in the dark the whole way. She plied you with money, because she saw you as base beings not worthy of her full trust. With me, you'd join a partnership a brotherhood where information and trust are shared equally. You think I wouldn't trust them with my life? Arthur motioned to Theo and Stesco. They certainly trust me with theirs. Is that so bad? Is creating a kingdom where everyone is equal really worth fighting against? Ethramel thought he'd have a quick-witted remark to throw back once Arthur finished his speech. But when push came to shove, he thought of nothing. Ethramel had to admit this. Arthur sounded every bit a king worthy of his crown from the gutter. Where is Yana? Jeremiah asked. Arthur frowned like a man who felt his carefully researched report had gone unread. Yana helped in her own way. Zevo managed to spit. Figures, I'm guessing you couldn't have sacked Novigrad without a lot of help. From the wild hunt, you mean, Arthur said. He motioned to the armored figure that spotted them a tall and imposing knight that towered over the troubadour, a representative of the hunt, it seemed. Incredible, are they not? That's not the word I'd use for it, Ethramel said. You're dabbling in things you don't understand. Funny, I could say the same about you, the fifth and final figure at the campfire said. Ethramel saw a face that looked like his own, only sharper and with more life in the eyes. It was his son, Colton op telled. Delbra the psionic was talking of him after all, the diplomat that brings great power with him. There stood a half-elf who had spent years rising through the ranks of Nilfgaardian diplomacy, only to throw it all away in an instant to join in with Arthur. 
the half-elf that professed to Ethramel's own goals of creating an independent elven kingdom, and even offered the sorcerer more than one chance to do so. But both times, Ethramel had refused. Colden, Ethramel said softly, what have you done? I summoned the wild hunt, Colden said. He regarded Theo and Stesco, with a little bit of help, of course. Theo provided the magical knowledge, Stesco brought the Marstone, and I supplied the power needed to summon a portal in the heart of Novigrad. A stable one, too. Those riders you see above us are not temporary specters that will be pulled back into their world by sunup. They're flesh and blood, and they're here to stay. Arthur needed a strong source of amplified power to pull that off. The Marstone did quite nicely. Ethramel's chest seized, and his breath came in short. He heard Jeremiah again ask, Where is Yana? Colden looked to Arthur. The Gutter King nodded his head. Yana is still in Novigrad, Colden said. She served as a conduit for the immense power unleashed by the Marstone. We couldn't have opened the portal without her. Unfortunately, our ritual took its toll. It drained her of life. Jeremiah uttered something between a guttural cry and a sob. Ethramel felt his own heart drop. To think, Yana spent her last days alone, in the company of the very people she wanted to stop. Ethramel could imagine the pain Yana felt, going to her death, realizing she had failed in doing anything to stop Ithlin's prophecy. If anything, she sped up its timetable. What is it all for, Colden? Ethramel asked, finding his voice again at last. You wanted to create an independent kingdom for the Unsaid. Yes, and Arthur and I will create just that, Colden said. The kingdom he envisions is peaceful for all people, and the Unsaid will have an independent piece of it. He stepped forward. I thought at first Nilfgaard would be the empire to create this vision, but this war has brought out the worst of the Imperator's imperialistic nature. He will not give our people any real independence, because it would challenge his authority. So I turned to you, father. I thought you and I would carve this elven kingdom out. But you lied to me, promised me a voice, and then abandoned me. You broke my heart. You didn't realize what you had, Arthur said to Ethramel. Colden's been an invaluable resource since he joined our cause. We couldn't have done this, motioning to Novigrad, without him. Ethramel felt his knees buckle, and he wondered if the spell was losing its potency or if he was getting used to the magical pressure. He caught Zevo wiggling his fingers of his free hand, trying to make a fist. You've done nothing but bring new Dwan conquerors to the continent, he shouted. We are not Dwan, the armored figure with the red cloak said. They spoke rather eloquently, though the skull-like helmet muffled their voice some. You do my people insult by drawing such a crass comparison. What are you then, Zevo said. He closed his hand into a fist and released it. Despite speaking to the knight, he was staring at Stesco. Had been the entire time, actually. Call it professional curiosity. The wild hunter reached up and took off their helmet. A tumble of fine hair, the color of hay, dropped down and reached the figure's shoulders, framing a thin and sharp face with ashy gray complexion and purple eyes. She brushed her hair back to reveal pointed ears, and grinned to reveal yellow teeth. We are kin to the Unsaid, the people of the hill, the she-elf said. My people are called the An-el, the people of the alders. My name is Alexandra, an emissary of Eredin Brek Glass. 
who you know as the king of the wild hunt. You see, father, they are kin, Colton said. We come from different worlds, but our struggle is the same. The An-El are not conquerors. They are the ones who will liberate us from tyrants. Zevo laughed, quite unexpectedly. It was a series of racking barks, more akin to a war cry than expressing any joy. Ethramel, feeling a slow numbness creep up in his legs, watched the Witcher. It really is quite a lot to take in, Zevo said. The Wild Hunt, scourge of the continent since time immemorial, are elves from another dimension, and they're here to cleanse the continent of humans. Is that it? Judging by her clenched teeth and set jaw, Alexandra did not find the Witcher amusing. I serve my king, who with the help of Colden and Arthur's army, will free the continent from both superstitious northern kings and imperial Nilfgaardians. We all will usher in a new age of peace and prosperity. Horseshit, Jeremiah shouted. Colden, what have you done? Ethramel asked softly. What have you done? You're upsetting them. Arthur said to Colden and Alexandra. Go off and make sure Saskia's troops join up with the rest of the army. They'll need some guidance. Stesco, Theo, and I will join you tonight. Colden nodded. He started stepping back into the dark, then turned around and looked at Ethramel with a crescent grin on his face. Ethramel recognized that look in himself. It was a look of pure cruelty and malice. Colden said, It was good to see you, father and I thank you for telling me where Duke Haggard and his men were camped. I enjoyed crushing them, and jumping ship in the chaos that followed the Imperator's invasion of Temeria. Ethramel closed his eyes and breathed through his nose. He shook his head a little and waited for the fallout. What was that you said? Jeremiah asked. Oh, you didn't know? You should ask my father about it, Colden said. He gave a low bow, then raised his left hand. It glowed bright green and power began to emanate from him like heat from an oven. Ethramel's eyes widened at the immense amount of power that Colden was generating. Those elves are not our people, son, Ethramel said. They know nothing of our plight. They are going to save our people, Colden said. He closed his glowing fist, and a large green portal opened up behind him and Alexandra. In an instant, they disappeared. As I said, I'm tired, my friends. Arthur said. I know you want nothing more than to murder me for my betrayal and for what happened to Yana, but I implore you to use reason. Our revolution grows with each day, and it's for a just cause. Yana thought she was trying to stop the time of contempt, when all she was really stopping was progress. Consider my offer one last time. Please, we could do great things together. Silence settled over the two groups, punctuated by screaming from above. How dare you, Zevo whispered. He spoke louder. You work with a monster, a man with no conscience and no regard for human life. You work with a man who deserves every inch of pain and suffering he inflicted on me. Arthur tilted his head. Ethramel felt a strong influx of power rush over him. It felt like a volatile cluster of energy, threatening to explode at any moment. At first, the sorcerer thought this was coming from Stesco, but then he looked at Zevo's medallion. It lied still against his chest. That meant... Ethramel understood in an instant. He looked down at Zevo's hand, the one he had been making into a fist. 
he saw the Witcher working his fingers slowly into a sign. You have the gall to stand next to him while you preach to us about peace. Ethramel had never heard Zebra raise his voice. It sounded on the verge of cracking from strain. And you expect me to work with him? You expect me to stand by your side and forget everything that man's done to me? Go fuck yourself, Arthur. I disagree with everything you stand for. I refuse. Do you hear me? I refuse! The Witcher screamed, and a near-transparent shockwave blasted from him, sounding like howling wind and ripping up clods of dirt ten feet across as it barreled towards Arthur, Theo, and Stesco. The shockwave slammed into the three of them with the force of a stone wall, and snuffed out the roaring fire like it was a candlestick. Arthur and Theo were lifted off their feet and thrown onto their backs, a few feet away. Stesco didn't fly, but he fell back just the same. A vacuum of silence followed, and Ethramel felt all of his limbs loosen. He could move. He craned his neck to see Jeremiah and Silva moving as well. Ethramel turned back to Zevo, who was panting, sweat dampening his face and hair. The sorcerer had never seen the sign of Ard used with such potency and at such range. Arthur, Theo, and Stesco started to haul themselves up. What in the fuck are you waiting for? Zevo spat to Ethramel. Ethramel nodded. He summoned a fireball in his hand and threw it at Theo of Alander with all of his might, like a heavy stone. 2. There he was, Stesco Dror, the sorcerer that tortured and experimented on Zevo over a century ago, the man that always, always lurked in the back of Zevo's mind, waiting to transport him back to those dark years, the culmination of every piece of pain, every nightmare, every negative feeling, there he was, the reminder of Zevo's humanity and all the ugliness that came with it. The Witcher ran towards Stesco, sword gripped so tight his knuckles went white and the tips of his fingers turned red. Zevo watched Ethramel's fireball miss Theo, who got to his feet and wound his arms towards the river to the right of the camp. Then he threw his arms to the left, and a surge of water rushed over the bank, creating a rivulet that separated the camp from Ethramel. Zevo, Jeremiah, and Silva. This did not slow Zevo down. He splashed into the water that reached his thighs, wading through with little difficulty. Zevo of Kavir, having been trained to swim with his armor on since he was a boy at Hern Kadik. Arthur aimed his crossbow at the witcher's head as he was halfway through the water. Before he could fire, a crossbow bolt whizzed past Zevo towards Arthur. It split into three, whistling like the wind. Arthur dropped to the muddy floor, and in a span of two seconds, got back to his feet. This time, the Gutter King aimed his crossbow at Jeremiah and fired. The bolt did not fly true. If it did, Jeremiah's head would have split open like ripened fruit. But the bolt smashed into Jeremiah's left knee. Blood exploded from Jeremiah's leg as it immediately gave out and sent him sprawling face down in the mud. The lower half of his left leg twitched spastically and any attempt on Jeremiah's part to bring his leg closer to his chest was met with excruciating pain and racking yowls. Jeremiah! Silva shouted. She rushed to Jeremiah's aid. Arthur's bolt looked to have gone clean through Jeremiah's kneecap, leaving behind bloody pulp and shards of bone. White strands of tendon strained to the point of snapping, 
as the lower half of his leg twitched, like a bit of twine pulled too far. Jeremiah's breath caught in his throat, and he began to convulse. Silva propped the craftsman up and pried his mouth open so he wouldn't swallow his tongue. All of this gave Zevo time to cross the river without difficulty. Water pooled in his boots, and he felt a wet squelch in every step as he charged Stesco. The sorcerer was ready. Stesco's left hand became engulfed in flame. He swung it in a wide arc at Zevo's head, and the witcher hopped back, swinging his sword. Stesco barely managed to avoid it and stumbled back. The witcher noted how Stesco's movements were sluggish, and he had difficulty keeping his balance. Zevo roared and rushed him. Stesco clapped his hands together and slowly pulled them apart, creating a net of crackling, bright blue electricity in front of him. This did not stop Zevo from smashing into Stesco, but it did seize up his joints and jaw as he felt the two of them tumble into the mud. Stesco wriggled out from under Zevo and kicked him in the cheek. The Witcher saw red and rolled onto his back. Zevo reached for his steel sword, but he felt a blast of force, not unlike the sign of Ard, smash into his wrist and knock it into the river. Fuck you, Zevo spat, blood dripping from his mouth. He propped himself onto his elbow before feeling a blast of air with the strength of a charging bull hit him square in the forehead. Zevo's head slammed back and everything went dark before stars punctured his vision. Stesco, breathing heavily, stumbled closer to Zevo, preparing a spell. The Witcher blinked his sight back and swung his arm at Stesco's leg. It connected, and the sorcerer collapsed into the mud. Stesco had a moment to roll onto his back before Zevo sat on top of him and wrapped his arms around the sorcerer's neck. Stesco's bloodshot eyes bulged, and Zevo smelled the strong scent of vodka on his breath. He's drunk, the Witcher realized. He's fucking drunk. Stesco wriggled an arm free and pushed up on Zevo's chest, then shoulder. Stesco's hand clawed its way to Zevo's face, trying to push him away. Zevo felt the sorcerer's nails dig into his cheek. Then he felt his cheek tingle. Stesco had engulfed his hand in flame. The left half of the witcher's face sizzled like a bad sunburn. Stesco reached for Zevo's eye patch, and he felt the edges start to melt into his flesh. Zevo wasn't sure there was any strategy to Stesco's desperate clawing. He was just doing what anyone would do if they were being strangled to death. Stesco's hand slipped a little and hooked two fingers into Zevo's mouth. The fire scalded his tongue, as if he just ate boiling soup. Zevo bit down on Stesco's hand and was rewarded with the crunch of joint and bone. A warm gush of blood rolled over his tongue and cooled the burning. Fuck! Stesco yelled, yanking his hand back. He was missing his middle and fourth finger. You fucking animal! Zevo spat Stesco's fingers at his face. They rolled near the crown of his head. Zevo released his grip on Stesco's neck and stood up. He watched Stesco struggle to get on his feet, waited for a moment of clarity to dawn on Stesco's face, for him to realize that this was a revenge killing over a century in the making, that the sorcerer had brought this all upon himself. That moment never came. Do you know who I am? Zevo shouted, demanded. The copper taste of blood lingered in his mouth. Do you have any idea who the fuck I am? I know who you are, Stesco wheezed. He got to his feet, holding his maimed hand close to his chest, taking ragged breaths. His neck started to bruise. You're a fucking mutant. 
Zevo screamed. He unsheathed his silver sword and ran into Stesco, driving the blade deep into his stomach. Zevo wrenched the blade to his left, then to his right. He forced the sword up, feeling resistance from Stesco's innards. Then he yanked it down, creating a gross parody of the star-shaped scar on Zevo's stomach. No, Stesco whined, tears springing in his eyes. No, it hurts. Good, Zevo growled and pulled the silver sword out. Stesco's guts slid out of his open wound, and he tried to hold them all in. Zevo knocked Stesco's hands away and watched his entrails slop into the mud in a steaming pink pile. Stesco collapsed on top of his guts, twitching, not quite dead. Zevo stomped on the back of Stesco's head and felt his skull cave in. A second stomp left nothing but pulp. The Witcher caught his breath and, for the first time since crossing the river, took stock of his surroundings. He saw Ethramel hurl a fireball at Theo's head. Theo's hair caught fire, and his skin reddened and crackled. He tried to scream, but the oxygen was sucked from his throat, and a sizzling hiss was the only sound that escaped his cracking lips. Theo clawed at his cheeks, drawing bloody lines down to the chin. He rushed for the river, but collapsed in the mud, reaching futilely for the water. Ethramel calmly walked to Theo, dragged his limp body by its collar to the river, and dunked his burning head into the water and held it there. Holy fucking hell, Zevo heard Arthur say. You two really are animals. 3. Arthur of Garamore had seen many things during his fifteen years walking the continent. He had seen priests of the Divine Sun perform a genuine miracle on a woman inflicted with palsy. He helped thieving children escape a Novogradian guard by creating an impromptu play in Hierarch Square. He watched a pack of werewolves sprint through a small village in Angren, alongside the villagers who emptied the town once a month to keep safe. He had once helped a Temerian hermit wrangle his adventurous goat with a dinner bell. He had sung ballads to kings and nobles in the most opulent balls, and the syphilitic beggars on the streets of Ard Kareg. He had seen birth and death loyalty and cowardice, feasts and famine, and everything in between. Arthur had seen war, too. The first two northern wars swept the entire continent in a tide of bloodshed, and Arthur nearly drowned in it. He survived through prudence, charm, and an ungodly amount of luck. It was difficult for a troubadour to make money in the aftermath of the first northern war, however, so Arthur took to helping rebuild towns, Houtsburg was among them, for a pittance. He broke bread with tired peasants who lost everything, tried his best to gather water for them from rivers that armies had nearly drunk dry. During all this time, he never saw a single noble or lord hold a hammer and nails or dig a new well. Yes, Arthur had seen many things, but never in his entire life had he seen such barbarity that was visited upon Theo and Stesco. He watched Ethramel toss Zeva with falchion, as they regrouped near the river. Then they both strode towards Arthur. Arthur drew his sword and tried to still his shaking hand. Two against one. Bad odds. Arthur once took down three Sidarian deserters when they decided to rob him instead of join his cause, but a witcher and a sorcerer was a dangerous pairing. Keep your eyes on the witcher's blade, Arthur told himself, and watch the sorcerer's free hand. 
His magic is far more dangerous than a staff. Arthur twirled his sword. Tell me, he said, have either of you two built anything worthwhile in your entire elongated lives? I have sacked a few cities. Ethramel did not slow down, but never like this. Arthur shook his head and noted Ethramel's uneasy gait. He must have exhausted most of his power killing Theo, and Zevo looked even worse. Nearly half of his face was bright red, and he was covered in sweat. He plodded along, out of breath from even that simple exertion. I traveled the continent for years, slowly building an organization, creating a vision, Arthur said. So tell me, what gives you two the right? You two, who have done nothing but kill and destroy your entire worthless lives, to come here and dismantle everything I have done. Zevo and Ethramel did not answer. They were in striking distance now. Arthur's eyes flicked between Zevo's sword and Ethramel's hand. The Witcher struck first, lunging with his falchion. Arthur twisted and knocked the blade down with his own sword. He saw Ethramel conjure a fireball from the corner of his eye, and ducked to avoid it charring his face like it did poor Theo. Arthur took two steps back, and the others took two steps forward. Arthur saw Zevo's armor when he had lunged, and noted where it naturally separated and created soft spots. What do either of you care about? he asked. Do you stand for anything at all besides yourselves? You've no true ambitions, no vision to better the continent. You're empty shells. This time, Ethramel struck first, swinging his staff at Arthur's chest. He hopped back and again parried Zevo's blow, but the Witcher swung again, and Arthur had to shift weight to his left foot to pivot. He avoided Zevo's sword, but felt a sharp pain in the tips of his left toes as a hardened spike shot from the ground, shearing the leather on his boots and exposing his feet. Arthur grunted and stepped back again. That was sloppy of me, he thought. Arthur had always prided himself on his patience and precision. He needed both to recruit far and wide, keeping his growing network of freedom fighters together through letters and drop locations across the continent. This became easier when Arthur recruited Stesco Dror four years ago. His magic allowed the Gutter King to speak to his lieutenants directly. His lieutenants. He needed to catch up with them. Colden could lead the army for a few days, but his people needed their king. He hoped his people realized this too, and that, when all of this was over, they would elect him king of the new gutter kingdom. Zevo swung and Arthur parried, catching both blades at the base so they locked for a moment. Arthur rotated his wrist and swung up with force, and the falchion flew from Zevo's hand. Arthur drew his sword back and jabbed at Zevo's midriff, that fleshy bit above the hip bone. He felt the blade start to sink in before Zevo yanked himself back, doubling over and gripping his new wound. Ethramel swung his staff down at Arthur's head. He ducked and gripped his sword in both hands, swinging its pommel in an upward arc like a mace. It crashed into the side of Ethramel's head, and his eyes rolled back, and his limbs lost all rigidity. He crumpled to the floor. Zevo, still doubled over, reached from his boot and drew his skinning knife. Arthur, in order to knock Ethramel to the ground, left his side exposed. Zevo must have noted where Arthur's armor separated too, since he sunk the blade into Arthur's ribs with little difficulty. Arthur felt a deep pain, and sucking in breath suddenly burned. The Witcher pulled the blade out and put his hands on his knees to steady himself. Arthur's vision burned, 
and without realizing it, he kneads Zevo in the chin. The witcher slammed onto his back like a collapsing statue. Arthur stood over the fallen foes, holding his side. He felt sticky blood leak through his fingers. You've been bested, Arthur said. He covered his mouth to cough, and more blood trickled through his fingers. Arthur took a wet, rattling breath. I truly pity you both. This world will never accept you for who you are. Neither Zevo or Ethramel moved or said anything, though both were conscious. Arthur, applying pressure to his wound, turned and walked away. He moved at an uneven pace, struggling to catch his breath. He felt like he was drowning, which Arthur nearly did once as a boy when he fell from his father's fishing boat into the Yaruga River. The Gutter King was no fool. He knew he might not reach his army before collapsing, but luck had blessed his life so far, and he planned to get to his people. He planned to lead the vanguard in battle. He would prove himself worthy of a crown. Then, after a decade or two, when the Gutter Kingdom had settled into comfortable stability, he would relinquish his position and let his people select a new king or queen, and Arthur would go back to wandering, as he did so often in his youth. He'd sleep beneath trees and compose ballads with the birds on the road, as he used to before the northern wars. Arthur's pace slowed. The hand clamping his wound was wet and sticky. Arthur noted these two things, but kept walking east. Walking is what Arthur had always done best, and he planned on walking the continent until it was his time to return to the earth. 4. The Gutter King Collapsed in the Mud Zevo and Ethramel didn't know how long had passed by the time they could haul themselves up into a sitting position. Arthur wasn't a dot on the horizon, but he was certainly out of crossbow range. They both knew what would inevitably happen, and watched until it did. Zevo nodded and stood up, feeling his own wounded side. He walked over to Ethramel's falchion and returned it to the sorcerer. Ethramel was nursing a goose egg already swelling on the side of his head. The two of them looked at each other. They made the slow trek across the shallow river, back to Silva and Jeremiah. The craftsman's bloody leg hung at an unnatural angle and he had passed out at some point during the fight. His face looked pained and troubled, as if in the throes of an awful nightmare. Silva held him, sitting in the grime and keeping his head up. The city of Novograd burned across the Pontar River, casting everything in an opaque light, the color of tallow. Finally, Silva asked, So what do we do now? That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Zipkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.